0: Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal. I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I'm a Christian. And what is going on today, Jacob? I I, I like your T-shirt. Can you can you describe for the listeners here what your T-shirt says?
1: Absolutely. My T-shirt. I've I've got four layers. I count on this T-shirt. It's a, a New Zealand T-shirt. So it has uh, Mount Cook. I think that is. You can see in the front there. Yeah. With a, a kiwi fruit. Sunrise, kind of enveloping the mountain. Yeah, and the text, the tag text is "slice of heaven," which you may know is a a New Zealand song. Yes, so yeah, yeah. there's
0: so much to it. Um, And as as a man who loves puns, I um, I appreciate this to no end. Um, And. Uh, it being a fruit based pun, uh, it has some link to the article you've shared with me for today. Uh, how about you talk me through that one?
1: Absolutely. So, this article uh, says, Jesus is coming, plant a tree is the headline on this article. And of course, fruit famously grows on trees. Really? So, I, I assume that this is a connection that you're seeing. Gerard. I,
0: I, I, th- I thought knowledge grew on trees.
1: Bit of both. Yes. <laughs> Bit of both. Um, yeah, so no, this is an, an article by NT Wright. Uh, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, resurrection life, and and what does all of that mean. Uh, And I I think the headline, this is an an excerpt from his book, Surprised by Scripture, should probably throw that out. Um, But I think the headline is riffing off a quote that certainly I've seen attributed to Martin Luther, that if Jesus was coming tomorrow, Luther says, I would plant a tree. If you told me 100% Jesus is coming back tomorrow, what would I do today? I'd plant a tree, which is just a really interesting way of of connecting with and caring with creation Mm. Um, and and i wanted to to bring this article up because our last episode um, we were talking about a piece from arjun brahm that you had shared and i i felt like i I was pretty tired listening back to that episode um and there there was something that i was kind of i felt like i was grasping after and not quite reaching for and as i caught the bus home after our recording session i was like oh that's what it was. It, the The resurrection kind of seemed to me to be not not quite well. Of course, it's not in scope for Brahm because he's he has a different view on well, it's, resurrection. It's a different
0: kind of. Everyone gets resurrected. It's a, or reincarnated, right? It's, it's a different kind of resurrection. But yes.
1: So I've, I've brought this article up because I I think it kind of touches on, goes to some of where I felt like I was reaching for in the last episode, but couldn't quite get to. But let's start off with your reflections, having read through. This article, does this connect with um, your understanding of, of Christian thinking? Was there anything new in it for you? Anything that surprised you? So, I, I think so.
0: I'll, I'll just kind of summarize for the listeners here. I, I the, the main takeaway that I took out of this article is I think, you know, there's an ecological bent to it, obviously. But I think the real message that I read here was that there are essentially two streams of thought in Christianity. One stream, uh, views the the rapture, so to speak, uh, where God's going to come down and judge everyone and, uh, you know, take everyone to heaven, um, and, and also, I guess, views uh, personal death and personal kind of um, movement towards heaven as a kind of separate thing to this earth, uh, mm-hmm. So in so much as, you know, when either the rapture comes or I die and go to heaven... Essentially, this Earth isn't going to matter,
1: right? Yeah. Like we, Leaving we, Earth behind and going to heaven is what. Yes. Is. There's a guy uh, called Richard Rohr, a, a Franciscan uh, mm. Catholic, who talks about a, a cosmic evacuation plan. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly right. how he characterises his thinking.
0: Yeah, and so it kind of um, it kind of takes this idea that you know um, what what's going on when when you go to heaven is so separate and so different from Earth that realistically your behavior on earth as the precursor to heaven matters but not much else matters right the the, mm-hmm. the state of earth itself doesn't particularly matter when you're
1: in heaven because it's just it's different it's something else the earth will pass away it, it won't matter anymore
0: yes and then there's the alternate view which is that when you think of heaven you think of god coming down and um and you know re remaking uh the world mm. um what that means is actually much more linked in with Earth as it is now. You know, it's not something that you can disconnect uh, that, you know, um, that that w- what will happen is not so much that Earth will be left behind and discarded, but actually that it will be kind of almost used as the template for the next thing. Have I kind of summarised that right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of – and certainly the way that N.T. Wright presents it is that the – the Earth will be kind of the the raw material for the new creation. Mm. Um, he t- describes this as ex vetere rather than ex nihilio, so not um, not a creation out of nothing, which is the story of the opening chapters of Genesis, mm. but a creation out of the existing one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you
0: look, I mean, my thoughts on this, I I found this really interesting. You know, i i don't I don't feel like so I feel like the first. Uh, version, the version where earth doesn't matter so much, is probably what I had generally presumed to be the main Christian line. You Mm -hmm. know, I I think if you think about people talking in kind of common parlance about heaven and about, you know, I'm going to go to heaven, right? Like even that language implies that it is somewhere different from where you are now. Uh, And I think if you just, you know, took a straw poll of Christians on the street, um, most people who haven't thought too deeply about it would probably conceive of heaven as somewhere else, somewhere different.
1: And it, that's really interesting because that is how Christian scripture and, and you know, Jewish scripture as well, the Old Testament, like conceives of heaven. Um, that there is a, a somewhere else, there is the, the heavens and the earth and they're separate realms mm. and kind of God and the angels and, and all of that are in heaven and humanity is on, on earth. Um, and... Wright doesn't have an issue with that, like heaven and earth being separate Mm. um, in that sense. But what he has an issue with is the idea that we're going to leave earth and go to heaven. Mm. And he says, no, actually, we're going to stay on earth, but it's going to be the the new earth, the better earth, the Mm. earth as it was always intended to be. And and actually, the final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, um, has a lot of strange stuff. Going on, but one of the things that it has is that the heavens coming down and meeting the earth, so mm-hmm. that there's not this separation, this gulf between God and humanity, between heavens and earth anymore. But they they actually live in connection with each other.
0: Yeah, and and I think the that view of it, and the view that I think is taken in the article, is one that I think I can probably personally align with more so. You know, I, I think um, I I. I guess my thought is that even if they are separate, right, even if heaven and earth are separate, um, you know, I, I'm just giving you all the premises for the sake of this discussion, but, yeah, like, no, you know, that's fine. That, um, that that the fact that God has designed, created earth, the fact that, you know, that human beings who are supposedly God's special creatures are inhabiting earth, like, that, that it doesn't, then give rise to this idea that what happens on earth doesn't matter or what happens to earth doesn't matter you know I, i i think it's i i think so this is all really really tied in with um i i feel like i've mentioned this on the podcast before but i'll mention it again because i love it so much but like the 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 intersection of kind of the translation of dominion Right, so yeah, yeah, this idea that you know we need to do
1: a whole episode uh, on this at some point. We we
0: do, yeah. And as I said, said, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but like you know, the 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 normal translation of the Bible being that you know uh, of Genesis is that you know God gave man dominion over the earth, and actually dominion is probably mistranslated and probably means stewardship Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the original Aramaic or Hebrew. Um, And so it's like you know, but but I think it's obviously been a really useful tool for uh religious organizations particularly uh traditional christian religious organizations to run with this idea that well we can extract because it doesn't matter right because realistically what matters is the afterlife Mm. you know being saved is what matters so do whatever you want to the earth because realistically it's all gonna get swallowed up in a you know, sea of hellfire at some point, anyway.
1: <laughs> well, and th- and this goes kind of to the idea that um, I, th- I think we talked about in the last episode um, of cheap grace, mm. um, which is yeah, this concept that well, like you're saved, so it doesn't matter mm. what you do. Like that's you know, boiling it right down. Um, and it, but, but it doesn't take into account like how are you saved, and and what are you saved from, and what are you saved for. Mm. And the the thing that I find interesting about that idea that well the the world's just going to be destroyed and hellfire and damnation and whatever is that that seems to me to be almost imparting kind of a Buddhist worldview onto Christian scripture because this is this is part of Wright's shtick. So for any listeners that are familiar with N. T. Wright, like one of one of his big academic achievements has been highlighting just the the Jewishness of the early church and Jesus and and how that shaped their their thinking. Um, And he would say that they anticipated God renewing creation rather than kind of God just destroying creation or or whatever. But this this idea that um, connection with the, or or that this this life is a life of suffering um and that that needs to be escaped or transcended in some way to me that seems like is what's sitting behind the idea that well the world's just going to be destroyed anyway and we don't need to worry about that and that sounds kind of buddhist to me
0: yeah okay that's interesting because i i think i would i think i would say i i, I disagree with that right because i think sure. that the premise of the world or samsara, this life being um, a cause of suffering, and, and, and I want to I want to kind of stress the point that the Buddha doesn't make the claim that this life is just entirely suffering. It's just that there is suffering in this life, um, and that is kinda, unavoidably sorry. Yeah, it's unavoidable, yep. and it's kind of a base state of being. Um, you know, I I, I want to steer people away from the the line of like, oh well, everything's shit, so you know, whatever. Um, but but I think even giving that, so even with that presumption, I I don't think, at least in a Buddhist theology, that tracks towards a sense of it's all going to get destroyed.
1: Like I I, I actually think I, yeah. They, I should stress that's not the part that I am saying is is Buddhist, yeah. but the the well, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, but 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 again, no, I, I think the Buddhist would say it matters immensely, right? Like so the 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 way out of suffering is not to ignore it, right? It, it's not to um, to just go, well, what happens in this life doesn't matter because it's all kind of suffering anyway, right? Like um, the way out of samsara, the way out of the, of the dukkha, of the suffering is through the suffering. So it, it almost, the fact that it is suffering matters so much because it's that suffering that is the driver for the, the push to let it go and and to 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 move beyond that suffering to to learn the Dharma to to practice the teachings, um, yeah. So I, I I guess I I can see where you're coming from and I can see why it can sound sometimes like um, the presumption of dukkha and suffering is. A kind of oh well, it doesn't matter kind of attitude, but I, I I don't think that's definitely not how the Buddha meant it, or not how most Buddhists I think would would interpret that. It's more so that that these things are suffering, therefore it matters a
1: lot because you don't want it, you know. But but that, that doesn't mean it's something to be avoided.
0: No, no, because again, avoiding is what is causing the suffering, right? Like like if you try and avoid the suffering, that's going to make <laughs> you suffer even more. Sure. Like so um. So no, I think it's the opposite. It's it's something to be accepted, you know. So there's an old Buddhist story of, um, uh, and I think this kind of thing is again used in behavioral psychology a lot, right, in the acceptance and commitment world. But like you know, there's an old Buddhist story of a uh, a big demon that walks into a palace, um, and the king's away and all the attendants get really freaked out, and they're like, oh, go away, you got to run away, and the demon like walks up to the throne and sits himself on the throne, and like every time someone tries to get rid of him or tell him to piss off or shoot him with an arrow or something, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the king gets, gets back, who's obviously a very wise king, sees this and walks just in and goes, oh, hi, how are you going? Can I get you a cup of tea? Um, do, you, do you need a foot massage? Like you know?" <laughs> and it's just super kind and accepting, and then the demon shrinks and shrinks and shrinks until it disappears, right? And you know, it's this idea that the the way to deal with the suffering is not to avoid it. It's not to try and get rid of it. It's not to dismiss it. It's actually, you have to accept it. You, you, you have to absolutely um, accept, invite, and, you know, connect with that suffering. Um, and then through that process, you realize that, oh, hold on, this is transient. This is passing. It's going to go away. It's not you know the biggest deal in the world, and and you, you can le- you can let it go, but avoidance is the exact opposite of what you yeah, want.
1: Yeah, so to. I, th- I think what I was probably meaning there was letting go rather than avoiding. Can I just? Yeah, but, I, but, but,
0: but, but letting go doesn't mean disposing of, right? Like I I think that that's the key thing. Right? So when you let something go, you actually embrace it
1: fully. You don't you do, you don't throw it away. But. D- in that embracing do you not then get attached to it in some sense
0: no because attachment only comes from wanting it or not wanting it so if you if you stop wanting or not wanting and you accept and you completely accept that it is there and you embrace the fact that it is there you're you're not embracing it saying oh yes I want you I want to keep you but you're saying you know I fully embrace the fact that you are here I fully accept the fact that this is part of my life right now um, and it's that, that sweet spot of not, not wanting, but also not not wanting. Uh, that, that, that's where full acceptance is,
1: and that's where you can actually let go. So that, like, I, I just, I want to put a, a paragraph of what Wright yeah, yeah. writes here to you. Um, because I, I wonder if that, if you don't have the danger there of um, baptizing the status quo, basically, and, and going, well, it just, it is what it is. Um, He says the question of how you think about the ultimate future has an obvious direct impact on how you think about the task of the church, or we could say humanity, in the present time. To put it crudely and at the risk of caricaturing, if you suppose that the present world of space, time and matter is a thoroughly bad thing, then the task is to escape from this world and enable as many others to do so as possible. If you go that route, you will most likely end up in some form of Gnosticism, and the gnostic has no interest in improving the lot of human beings or the state of the physical universe in the present time. Why wallpaper the house if it's going to be knocked down tomorrow? Now, I appreciate that he's kind of bringing into that um, some of these ideas of, well, you know, the world's going to be destroyed and whatever, it doesn't matter. But if, if the if the goal is um, just kind of acceptance of the world as it is and, and learning to live with that, is there any motivation to improve the world other than Kind of help to help other people get out of the world and achieve enlightenment, perhaps, or go to heaven in the, the scheme that Wright's critiquing.
0: Um, so, like on a purely theological sense, no, right? Like, again, this comes back to, I think, I've spoken before about the bodhisattva path, which is very much the path of, you know, doing everything in your life to help the enlightenment of others. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean doing charity, mm-hmm. right? Like, that doesn't necessarily mean. Um, just, you know, doing good things and making the world a, uh, quote-unquote, better place. Um, but I think there are lots of reasons that Buddhists would and do engage with, uh, you know, a kind of project of improving the world. Um, but a lot of that comes back to kindness. A lot of that comes back to this idea that, you know, um, it is good for the self and also good for others to be kind and to make the world a better place. Um, and, yeah, like I, I, I do get your point, but I think there is a... Um, there's almost like here's what it is I, I think it's the buddhists in general just reject the premise that is going on here right so it's not so much that the world is going to get destroyed and you know yeah, why wallpaper the house but it's also not so much as like you know oh the fate of the world matters a lot like, <laughs> like, like i, 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 I yeah. think that this comes back to the core premise that like you know For Christians, my understanding is that God has a plan and you want to be in line with God's plan and God's will. Life is better if you're in line with God's plan. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the Buddhists would say better and worse, what's the difference, right? Like, you know, that 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 there is that something being, you know, the fact that the fact that we think that not starving is better than starving is just purely linked to our mental attachment to not starving, right? And, like, in a world where we have that mental attachment absolutely help people from not starving, right? Like, I, I, no Buddhist would go, well, just starve, it's fine. Maybe some would, but they're <laughs> terrible. Um, you know, I... So Can you say that anyway? Yeah, sorry. yeah, but, sorry. But, but, but the only... But the Buddhist would also say, you know, well, absolutely, I'm going to help someone not starve. That, that, that's a nice thing to do, and that's a kind thing to do, and that, that's in line with Buddhist teachings, and that is loving kindness and metta and we should do that. But also, you know, actually maybe the world would be a better place if people just weren't so attached to, you know, having, having all the food they <laughs> wanted, right? But but, 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 and again, like if you take it, I think what it is is that Buddhists have their eyes so far on the kind of final goal and on the present that it's the gap in the middle that I think might get missed, which I think is what you're going to, right? So using the food example, the Buddhists would say people's attachment to food is a problem, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you're deeply attached to food, uh, you are going to you know, you know have a terrible life. Um, but and so so you know, it's like the ultimate goal is to not be attached to food. But also they realise that if you don't have enough to eat, you can't even engage with that. Like you, yep. you, you need there's the Maslow's right like hierarchy. Yeah, right? like yeah. You, you need a level of food to eat. And in the Buddhist world, I would actually say that the problem is solved because what happens is everyone is not attached to food. so all the rich countries that have so much food just give all their food away because they don't need it and then no one's starving right. Like, and like there's a na- and again this is kind of goes to the Buddhist thing of like there's a natural balance to things. like you know, if you actually live in line with the law of nature, it's just gonna kind of work out. The problems we have with starvation in the world has nothing to do with the amount of food in the world. They're purely to do with the allocation of food. So whilst, yes, it's not a great thing that someone who's starving, you know, is so focused on not starving that they can't attain mental clarity, and so therefore we should help them there to help them attain mental clarity, right? Like, I think, again, you, you talk about charity and whatever else, I think Buddhists would definitely engage with, particularly meeting those baseline needs, Because without them, you can't actually have any progress towards enlightenment. But also, equally, the problem is that the attachment of the Western world to having so much excess and being able to walk into a supermarket and pick anything off the shelf whenever you want it, that is as much of a problem for this whole thing as anything else, right? And, you know, in a world where I'm never going to go hungry, me caring so much about what I eat is actually probably something that, yeah, actually maybe that is a problem and I
1: shouldn't care about that. It's really interesting the way that you articulate that gap, that middle ground, because I'm I'm still, I I keep getting thrown back to, and this is a a boy that we've gone around before and we'll go around again, of um, kind of why why does that matter within a, a Buddhist framework? Because within a Christian framework, everything that you've just, been describing of the the rich nations that overproduce food and we have however much wastage and everything else, you know, should con- consume less food and there's more food for other places in the world and, um, and that that kind of balances out. Uh, and the the language in Christianity that, that Wright picks up on here is the idea of the kingdom of God, right? That that is um, God's reign breaking through on earth when that kind of thing happens. And we look forward to the ultimate time where that is fully realized uh, and there, there is no hunger and there's no sickness and there's you know things that humans can solve and things that humans can't solve are all alleviated uh, and we live in in perfect harmony with one another and with God uh, and, and so these are kind of like um, milestones on the journey towards that if you like or, or just kind of moments where you you see a glimpse of what the end state is going to be and and that matters because within a Christian framework, all of humanity matters and all of creation matters because it matters to God and we're part of that plan and that picture and, and everything else. And so from a like from a Buddhist conception, like why why should the the rich countries like aside from that it would make them more unattached and, and they would attain enlightenment, like is there actually a net good? in the world flourishing and and is there a, like a purpose to the world's existence because it strikes me as, as not really well so, so, there, so there's not a goal to which yeah
0: there, there there are two separate questions there is yeah. there a net good absolutely right sure. like you know yeah. if rich countries give all their food away to poor countries then the people in the poor countries are going to be much more able to focus on the things that they need to focus on to support as their are the own people in the rich so, countries their exactly. own actually yeah. it helps everybody right yeah. so yes there is a net good in that in so much that you know, you're meeting the basic needs of people that have their needs not met, and you're supporting the unattachment of people that do. Um, is there a purpose? No. <laughs> this, this comes back to it. There is no purpose. There is no ultimate plan. There is no, like, the world is just as it is. And the only reason you'd want to get enlightened is because you're sick of it. You know, um, like, you know, yeah, like, there is no ultimate plan. There is no. You know, um, the Buddha didn't come down to help fulfill the ultimate purpose of every being in the world becoming enlightened. Like, the Buddha came down and realized a bunch of things and realized that you can do a bunch of meditative practices and help escape some of the negative consequences of the world yourself and that it's good for people to do that and they're happier if they do. So maybe let's support people to do it. But like, there, there's no ultimate goal where every being in the world is suddenly enlightened and the world is suddenly depopulated from beings. And, you know, like
1: it, you know, and, and, and to escape it is to escape all of it, right? Like yeah. it's, uh, is there, is there a sense in, you know, when you, when you get enlightened, um, and you kind of, you reach Nirvana or nothingness or however you want to, the, the nihilism at the end yeah. of the rainbow, um, you, like, it, is there any part of yourself no. that you take with you? So there would be nothing no. recognisably Jamal. All,
0: all, Everything that is Jamal is attached to my ego
1: and sense of self, which is all attached to the world. And, it's, and and so you just you need to escape that because your ego is terrible. Egolessness,
0: yes, exactly. Egolessness is the big thing. Now, so I, I, I did, I did want to ask you some questions on this before yeah, we run out of time. Um, I was really interested. So I can understand this article from the point of the rapture, right? From the point of what is God's going to come down and do something, right? Yeah. But what I'm interested in is in the second, and we we'll probably would both agree the more kind of... Um, I don't know if theologically sounds the right word, but at least the theologically palatable version of this, where it's like, <laughs> "Hey, things actually here do matter." Um, what happens on an individual level, right? So, like, so I, I, my sense of this is that that you know that the world is going to matter because when the rapture comes, God is going to come down and going to create the new heaven or the new earth from this earth, right? Mm. But assuming that I die before then, assuming that yeah. I'm not going to be part of that, like. How is my own personal kind of place in heaven or my own personal kind of interaction with um, the afterlife intersecting with what's going to happen eventually
1: to the world? Well, well you are going to be part of that. And, and this is the, the Christian conception of um, resurrection. And it's where, just to caveat, we get to very quickly to confusing ground on, you know, we, we don't know exactly what happens um, and, and what that's like. I'll, I'll put to you kind of anti rights view so far as I understand it, and this is obviously theologically contested um, within Christian circles, um, but Wright contends that um, what happens is we have this there, kind of, you die and there's some kind of sleep that happens that you're probably not conscious for, uh, and then you you wake and are raised at the second coming of Christ. So it's kind of like if, if I died in the next five minutes, almost my next conscious experience would be Christ's return. Yeah. Um, okay. When which is the that's called the the general resurrection. Like the, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. But then there will be at the end of the age. This is all sounding very sci-fi, hyperbolic, James stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it is a little bit. And like, and like I said, we, we don't quite like we we don't know exactly how it is that that works and this was a massive challenge for the early church actually because if if you read the new testament you get the impression that paul and others had this sense that christ was going to come again in their lifetimes and they were uh, obviously wrong in that and and there's there's almost this crisis that happens in some of the churches and um Right quotes First Corinthians fifteen. I'll come back to that here. It's also in the the letters to the Thessalonians, I think. But, um, of like people started dying, and they're like, "What's going to happen to these people who died before Christ returns? How oh. how is that going to work?" Um, and and so they they had to work through that a bit. So, and and every kind of great moment of Christianity, it seems like, has had this expectation of, well, Christ might return tomorrow, and that's shaped the way that people have lived their lives. Um, but just to go back to like, well, what does that, how, how do I participate in that? What does that look like for me? Um, Paul has this um, great image in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, um, sisters and brothers, we, we know what we are, but we don't yet know what we will be. Um, and this this idea that the the body that is sown he says is like a seed um, and I've, I've heard this described wonderfully like a, a pumpkin seed like you know my myself my ego if you like is is a pumpkin seed at the moment and in the new creation it will be a pumpkin plant because it will grow into kind of what it was always intended to be and it won't look like how I do right now because obviously a pumpkin seed is very different to a pumpkin plant but they're recognizably, the same thing and kind of one is the the ultimate version of um of the plant is the ultimate version of what the seed is supposed to come
0: it, it sounds like almost like a reverse Plato, platonism like so you you, know, you like plato's kind of concept that there is the world of the forms that is like the yeah. ultimate version of everything and this world is just a reflection of that it kind of sounds like a flipped version of that right whereas this world is just kind of a a pre-shadow of the world of the ultimate that will eventually happen at some point in the future. It doesn't coexist, but it's, um, but it's, yeah. And obviously we all know that time is not linear. So, you know, <laughs> we, we, we can, we can, we can find on that one later, but like, yeah. So this idea that like this ultimate version of everything that will be at the moment of the rapture at the moment of the second coming is like, you know, yeah. Well, one could say it does coexist because again, Time is not linear, but um, but even if you want to put it on a linear scale, like it's that ultimate is known already, and what's happening now is kind of a early reflection of that. Kind yeah, of
1: thing. exactly right. And C.S. Lewis has a couple of beautiful images that he uses for this, and, and ways he puts it in um, in a book called The Great Divorce. He talks about kind of like the um, the heavenly realm um, as, as being like Earth, but more real. Uh, And so he describes like the grass you kind of you stab yourself on because it's just so much more solid and more has more being than the grass that we're used to here. And there's a waterfall which is like just it's like glass shards Mm -hmm. coming down. But as you get used to it, you realise it's just water. It's just the realest water that you've ever imagined, and so it has so much more substance than the water we're used to. And um, the famously in the um, the last book of the Narnia series. Um, the Last Kingdom, he describes the um, well. Ev- everyone in the novel basically kind of going into this little hut, which it turns out the new creation is on the other side of the door. I don't know if you've read The, the mm-hmm. Last Kingdom, the end of the Narnia books, um, but they go in and it's like Narnia, except just more real, and the colours are more vivid and everything, and they keep going further in and further in, and it just gets realer and realer and, and deeper um, the further in they go. And I feel like that—that's a bit of that, that echoes the way that Wright's describing it here. For mm. me, it, it's yeah, the the real thing as opposed to the the shadow of it that we live in at the moment. Mm. Interesting. Um, and just one one thing that I really loved in this that I wanted to bring out was um, that there are parts of ourselves and and stuff that we've done that comes with us into that new creation like kind of like the seed thing i was talking about before but Wright says uh, i have no idea precisely what this means and i'm glad that he a mm. bishop and eminent scholar if he's got no idea then i'm, I'm okay with not having <laughs> no idea precisely what this means but he says i do not know how the painting an artist paints today in prayer and wisdom will find a place in god's new world i don't know what musical instruments we will have to play bark although i'm sure bark's music will be there i don't know how my planting a tree will relate to the wonderful trees that will be in god's word world recreated world I don't know how my work for justice for the poor for remission of global debts will appear in that new world but I know that God's new world of justice and joy of hope for the whole earth was launched when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning uh, and I, I know that these symbols will be represented in some way there mm. um, I just I, I it's quite an attractive idea for me
0: yeah oh, I, I, I definitely I can see that I yeah I this is uh, this is good I I have a better understanding of this now, and I, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting take, and I, I like it. I dig it. Awesome. Um, reminds me of this time a Christian or Buddhist walked into a bar. But
1: that, see, though, will there be bars in the new creation? Like, oh, it, they're, they're only the best bars. I, I think Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is supposed to have said that um, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. So <laughs> you know, there's probably beer in the new creation, I'm better sure than is. any beer you and I have ever tasted. Oh, Jamal.
0: I'm sure there is. Um, so this Christian would just walk into a bar, <laughs> um, and um, they see like a they see a bishop like drawing architectural drawings, right? And they walk up to the bishop and go like, "Hey, what's going on? Like, you yeah, know, this is a really interesting drawing." And 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 she's drawing this. Um, this tree house like this like beautiful kind of tree house with all these slides coming off like the edge so it's like you go to the edge and you just slide down and they're like wow this is this is really fascinating like like you know what's what, what's with all the slides and it's like oh well this is obviously a holy house and like like how is it holy oh well it's the tree of no ledge
1: oh dude <laughs> <laughs> you told me you had an original one today oh yeah. i like that yeah That's, there you go yeah there you go um do you have anything else for us today before we wrap up, Jake? Oh, look, I, I think we've we've covered it pretty well. The tree, the tree of no ledge, will that be in the the new creation? I don't know. Well, what, what, what will fruit be like? What will the what what would the fruit of that? <laughs> the fruit tree of the apply? tree just of to to no ledge. Push the joke very way round, too far. real real rolling.
0: <laughs> um, so, just before we wrap up today, um, we are a few episodes in. Um, thank you very much for listening. I, I wanted to do a shout out to our listeners. Um, this is it's been a great journey we, we love having you along with us um if you like the podcast um the best thing you can do is to tell a friend um to totally. to go and spread the word organically you know we're not into big advertising we're not going to ask you to like and subscribe and all all,
1: all that Although you just kind of did
0: no 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 no, <laughs> no 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 you know what don't like and subscribe <laughs> Don't like, don't subscribe, but do <laughs> don't tell get a friend attached to the podcast yeah. people. Yeah, but do tell a friend. I think um, you know this is the kind of thing we, we'd love to grow organically. So, um, you know, you can tell anyone to search Christian Buddhist Bar in your podcast apps, and that will pop us up. Um, spread the word: um, the word of Jesus, the word of Buddha, or the word of a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar.
1: And you can uh, get in touch as well. We'd love to hear any articles or other suggestions or whatever that that you have. Uh, you can email Christian Buddhist Bar. At gmail.com, you can follow us on Facebook these days. That's true, You
0: can. Um, thanks very much for listening, everybody. Uh, thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music on both sides of the podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks, Jamal. See you then. Bye.